Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Justin Mayers is the founder of multiple health companies, including Kettle and Fire, Perfect Keto, and Truebed, as well as a good friend of mine for many years. We chat about how his networking helped make him eight figures, why he thinks the FDA has killed more Americans than any other governmental agency, and we catch up on our beliefs about God, happiness, and life. You asked me if I was an atheist. <laughs> yeah, but still an atheist. No, I don't think so. God, what am I? Because when we met, you were an extremely hardcore atheist. I had literal chapters of my book written, and then <laughs> Sam Harris snaked me. He, he beat me to it. Him and uh, Christopher Hitchens. I was like, this doesn't need to be done. Um, what are you? Let me. I'm, I'm nervous to talk about it, honestly. Great. <laughs> are you, where are you right now? Uh, I would say that I am currently confused. Okay. And how I would say, how I would say, I would just, I've been describing this to friends as I used to be very religious. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to be a priest until I was like 17 or so. And then at some point in college, um, a friend killed himself, put me on this like path. And mm-hmm. I was like, why could this happen? You know, and became like a pretty serious atheist. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, really in the last couple of years, um, something has shifted back. And I don't know what it is where I feel like this emotional and, and kind of like emotional, spiritual, like tug in a sense. Mm -hmm. And it's very weird because I would say emotionally and spiritually, I feel like religious and intellectually, I'm like not there yet at all. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how to reconcile those two things or if they just will get reconciled for me. Totally. The I've, I think the number of like religious experiences that I've had is maybe approaching double digits, but every time Mm. that intellectual part comes back in and goes, no hallucination, no imagination, that doesn't, does math doesn't check out here? Totally. If I look back on it, I thought that my atheism was intellectually based. And I don't think it was. I actually think it is. So my dog died um, a couple months ago. And when that happened, it, it was really sad, obviously. And I was in the parking lot after putting her down. And I didn't, I was so upset and I let myself sink into the upset. And it was like, the question that came up was, why does God hate me? And it was a deep question, like clearly not the first time some part of me had asked that question. Whoa. Yeah. And yeah, God, that was fucking painful. And it illuminated the fact that my, my atheism, the, the cognitive part of it came second and the emotional part of it came first, which is like, kind of like you described with your friend, which is this, this, this ain't it. Like this yeah. loving man in the sky that wants the best for me. And then this fucking truck of shit hits me. Um, but yeah, man, after that, I, uh, a couple of things have been happened. So I don't know what I am right now, but I've had a couple of experiences. A lot of them are in psychedelics and I keep getting the instinct that says something like allow yourself to kneel. Hmm. And I have a hyper resistance to kneeling like literate physically and emotionally the posture of like bowing my head before anything 
yeah. feels, as I feel into it and I've allowed myself to like assume the kneeling position before, it feels like I'm going to get hurt. It feels if I bow my head before whatever, that it's going to take my head off. And uh, on the few occasions that I've allowed myself to kneel, I have had what you could describe as spiritual or religious experiences of, it's like only when you kneel do you recognize the enormity of what is in front of you, or at least that's been my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, and I find myself wanting to, um, I've had the instinct to kneel before a number of the relationships in my life, like not in the subservient, you're my master kind of way, but I guess what you could call like, the divinity within the relationship feels like it's asking to be recognized. Hmm. And if I don't assume a posture emotionally, not like I have to like bow down and kiss my girlfriend's feet or anything, but of kneeling, when, when I assume that posture, I see it in a completely different light. Hmm. And I see the gifts and the blessings and like all of that stuff comes through in a major way. So yeah, I don't know about that. The other thing, have you, have you been interested in the story of Jesus? I mean, I grew up very religious, so yeah. I know it quite well. Does it yeah. resonate with you? Uh, certainly. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. The So I like was familiar with the stories, but some of them have just been like, I've, I've felt them deeply. Really? Yes. Like which ones? Gethsemane hits me fucking hard. I feel like I've had a spiritual phase of Gethsemane, which is... There's a couple things that he say that have brought me to tears on a number of occasions. I was like, where did I read this? I didn't even know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But it's he asks, he's like, if this is not meant for me, please let this pass me over mm-hmm. as he's waiting. And it's like, no, this is, this is yours, what's coming. Mm. And I have felt that. I think uh, I have felt that I am about to take up my cross, if that makes a sense. And there's going to be a... A death of some kind of the egoic me of the I'm gonna cry. <laughs> fucking <Yeah. laughs> it hits me fucking heavy, um, and that has and I've been terrified of that and I don't want to and I've resisted it in every way but I've felt it coming 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 yeah and I feel myself emotionally it feels kind of like at the foot of the thing where the cross is there and it's like this is yours <laughs> and walk with it. And I've had a number of the, the whole walk. Oh my God. The things that he says, why have you forsaken me? The like the total, the viewing of that situation as almost any human would view it. Like you don't love me. <laughs> yeah. How could you allow this to happen to me? And what I've broken through to on a handful of occasions is the, ah, it feels like the making of a king, that story. Mm-hmm. And I have felt the throne, or the throne, the cross is a throne. And it feels like to me, what I spiritually get out of it is that Jesus is being asked to carry his throne to the top of the hill where he can become king. Mm-hmm. And it fucking sucks. <laughs> it's like the way there is through the death of who you were, mm-hmm. or at least that's how I take it. And... um all of the the crown of thorns which like just bites into his skull and hurts yeah. is transformed into a crown crown at the top yeah and it, it resonates with me it's uh that there's a part of me that is going to have to die and i am terrified of that yeah so whether i believe in god is uh i connect deeply with the stories of, of jesus and uh have been terrified (laughs) (laughs) regularly yeah i mean that that definitely 
that definitely resonates. Like in, in mm. almost every sense, I think I look around at my life and I'm like, you know, happy with it. And there's all, and it's like, there's so many elements that I've like worked hard to build. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I want to hold on to these, these elements. I've worked so hard for this, you know, mm -hmm. in, in many ways I've been working, uh, you know, I guess we've known each other for a decade now, like since we met, I've been like trying to like work on starting stuff, doing well, like mm -hmm. all these sorts of things. And in many ways, I feel very, uh, very afraid that any sort of like leaning hard into a spiritual path or religion or whatever it is, uh, or getting pulled, sucked into it, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever the, the future may hold will require like giving up a lot of stuff that I've worked really hard mm. for. And, like that is fucking scary. Yeah. For sure. Do you feel that at all with you? You just got married with your relationship or when you think about kids? Cause for me, that's what brings it up is it's like, for me, and you see it, you don't have it probably as heavy as I do, but there's a pretty egoic, selfish version of me that exists as single, Charlie. Mm -hmm. And I have not completely allowed that part to die even in relationship. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of what I feel is like that level of default selfishness is going not have to, it will die. Yeah. And I think a kid is a big thing that scares me. It's like that is going to shatter that whether I wanted to or not. And I'm, uh, I'm wondering if, if that brings it up for you or if it's more around. Yeah. You know, what's funny is it doesn't actually bring that up for me around mm. kids at all. And one of the big reasons I think is that literally a hundred percent of the people that I respect who I look at 10, 20, 30 years ahead of me, mm -hmm. all of them are like, you should definitely have kids. You should do it sooner. It's like the best. Mm. It's hard. It's challenging. It's like, you know, trying all these things it can be tough on a relationship, but having talked to friends about this and, and mentors about this, all of them are, are like, it's not, it's not like a part of you died. It's like, you got excited about this new direction and mm -hmm. you just like cast off this old, like the old stuff that's just not serving. You and anymore. it was easy. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was not even yeah. easy. It was like joyous in yeah. a sense. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that there are very, 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 very few things in the world that can cause someone to like, change in such a drastic way and do it with joy as opposed to like fear and grasping yeah, yeah, and all yeah. these things. And I think kids are like one of the few things. And you feel that'll that'll click on for you. I think so. I have fear that it won't click on for me is yeah. another thing. A deep knowing that it will. Yeah, a deep knowing that it will, but a yeah. fear that it won't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> you said mentors. I, I just thought of this. I am realizing I've been like bereft of mentors in my life. My mentors have been Tim Ferriss or the guy that I read in the book, people that I've never met before. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to like literally the first time we met, you had a mentor and he was rich and you would stay in his house and he would yeah. get, uh, and you are probably of people anywhere near my age, you're younger than me. Like you're the most financially successful by far. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, has that been critical, those mentors? A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a fucking swing and a miss for me, right? There. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can still get, you know, you I, can still well, do I've, it. I've been starting to. How did you, how have you done that? Because like, I don't bump into 45-year-olds, yeah. you know, like regularly. I didn't either. Yeah. I didn't either. I mean, so something I would say on mentors is I think that the, the weirder the life that you want, mm -hmm. the harder it is to get mentors from like an in-person standpoint. Mm -hmm. And my sense for you um, and maybe this, I, I don't know if this is or is not true, but my sense for you is that you very quickly wanted a like weird outlier yep. life. And I think that it would have been really hard for you to find a mentor that you could actually hang out with in mm -hmm. person. You know what I mean? For me, there's like, when I was 20, 
21, 22 into the startup stuff, I was in school in Pittsburgh. There were people doing startups in Pittsburgh. I moved to San Francisco, met, like hung out with, made a couple mentors and connections there. And like the entire city is oriented mm. around, you know, building wealth and creating companies and like knowing how to do that, yeah, that it was, specific it was a, thing. It, yeah, it was like a path that, that people had seen and done. Yeah, yeah. completely. Uh, and so I, I do think that um, there, like in, a, in Elon's biography, he kind of mentioned at one point that he had a bunch of mentors. They were just like biographies of older people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, a, like Rockefeller and Carnegie and a bunch of all these people. Uh, and so I do think that that's a thing. That said, I was really, really intentional about getting mentors. I think that, you know, no value judgment here, but I didn't come from money. I didn't come from a connected family. Mm -hmm. I didn't come from any of that. And so for me, I had to like kind of grind to like meet a bunch of mentors. Like the dude that uh, Jonathan that, yeah, that you're referring to. Yeah. Um, I met him because I was in San Francisco doing an internship. And I set a goal of myself to send like five cold emails a day to people that I thought were like just in startups doing mm -hmm. interesting shit. And one of them agreed to meet me for coffee. I went to his office for coffee, took the bus, took like, you know, an hour. I had no money at the time. Um, met him at the office for coffee. His office outside had like a 3D printer. And I was in like into like 3D printing at that point. And so I, I was like started talking to this other dude who was there hmm. just about the 3D printer. And he was really? like, oh, I'm getting a 3D printer for my son. I was like. I can answer questions about that, whatever. That guy was Jonathan. We ended up working no together for years. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And so it's it's like this, you know, for me. You were very open and seeking that. Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't say it was an openness. I'd say it was like, I was like hungry, yeah. and like looking to build relationships. Did you have with a sense in that first conversation that this was? No, definitely not. Wow. Yeah. I just followed up, yeah. you know, and like my follow-up was good. My, my entire life at that point was how do I build relationships with smart people that mm -hmm. I can learn from? Hmm. And like before I did that in, um, before that summer in San Francisco, I was in Pittsburgh and I took out, uh, I, I went to coffee with a stranger four or five times a week that was working in startups. Cause I was like extremely awkward socially. And so just had, I wanted to get better at that, you yeah. know? Um, so I was very, I was, I made it like a very intentional, these people, like if you are a person that's doing shit, interesting shit, I want to find you and learn from you. Yeah. I was very uh, aggressive about it. <laughs> you've been, you've also done like, you have a ton of friends. Like you had a big summer camp thing with like a hundred plus people at it. Yeah. How do you do all that? A lot of that. I mean, that was entirely Janine, my, my okay. wife. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cause that, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, that was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. I, I do think I have a lot of friends. A lot of it is we do, st we do a lot of stuff in community, but I, this is actually an area that I have to give huge props to Janine. Mm. This is not a thing that I was naturally good at. Has she brought a lot of uh, like either emotionally powerful connections to you or just like business powerful connections? Um, emotionally powerful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some business, you know, it's funny though. I actually don't, I almost don't think of any, I don't like delineate between like business and mm -hmm. other connections hmm. at this point. Like I have friends that I'll do business and stuff with, but I think for probably two or three years, I've been extremely not looking at can looking at people through the lens of like, can this individual help me from a business standpoint? Yes. And it seems like you are just so fascinated by what you're doing that yeah. 
100%. inevitably those tracks are going to run close together. Yeah, yeah. You're like deeply interested in the work that you're doing and you're going to totally. be bored by someone who isn't probably. Right? Yeah, completely. I mean, I look around and most of my friends are founders or, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, this is, <laughs> this is not like I'm, you know, hanging out with Josh yeah. all the time. Uh, it's more just like, I am friends with someone like a JD or, or others, not because they're, what's a JD. Oh, JD is like a friend. Okay. Um, he just first friend yeah. that popped to mind. Um, you know, I'm, or we both know Dylan and Scott, like I'm not friends with these guys because they're founders, but I just think people that are interested in new weird shit tend to also be the types of people that like start things that they find are interesting. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. you're the same way. You're like, you're a very outlier person and you've started a lot of shit now. Yes. The thing that is different with me is that I realize I've done a bad job at having loose connections. Like Either you want to be my friend seven days a week and we hang out all the time or like I haven't seen you in forever, you know, like and I'm yeah. not good at those meet that check in call every couple of months or like, fuck it, I got to get to Austin. I know so many people in Austin I should go visit, which is why I'm here. Um, do you do you make a conscious effort to do that stuff or? Yeah. And I'm trying to get better at this. Even. Yeah. I would say that I'm I'm like decent at it and I want to actually become world class at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The value is there, you think? A hundred percent. And I also, I just think it makes life interesting. Like if you have a, if you have a connection, like a, a deep connection or someone that you would really enjoy spending time with, it's way nicer to have some light touches with that person so that both of you feel in some time in the future, like, oh, I should hang out with this person or re-engage. Like mm. I have a bunch of friends that if we ever happen to live in the same city at some point in the future, like I know that we're going to be great friends and it's going to make my life better. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, maybe you're like set in LA forever. And so that feels, you know, like less of a thing. Yeah. Um, Do you have like a system where you're like a, a spreadsheet of anything or is it? No, but I'm working on building one. <laughs> yeah. How did the, um, I know you do shout outs and you're, you had like a, how did that work? You had an email that was mostly for friends, yeah. a friend newsletter. And you yeah, would yeah. say what was going on. I always enjoyed reading it. Yeah. I got, I got, I that's I, one of the things I'm going to do again. I got shouted out once. That was fucking epic. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was, how did that go? At the bottom of it, you would have in the small print, like, yeah. th thing, cool things Kudos. people have yeah, done. Totally. And there would be 12 people that had done, you know, sold his business or yeah. thanks for cooking dinner with me on Thursday. Like, totally. um, that was, yeah. How did that work out for you? It was awesome. I imagine, because I, I Everyone felt- Everyone said they loved it. Bro. Yeah. I, I felt something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there were like monthly updates, was it? Uh, yeah, and it was like more quarterly. Okay, quarterly. But yes, in theory, it was supposed <laughs> to be monthly updates. And then about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, I just kind of stopped. Yeah. And I need to, I, it's it's something, a big goal for mine of mine this quarter is to like get, build infrastructure around- like friendship, relationships, all this kind of stuff. And Did that's people like reply directly to that and, and you would reconnect? Yeah, and... all the time. Or, crazy. Or the crazy thing too was it just kind of keeps you top of mind for mm -hmm. people. And so there would be people that I haven't like talked to in forever, yeah. but that were friends. We had a great connection. We like had a you know, period where we hung mm -hmm. out and they would, I would get random texts out of the blue that are like, hey, what protein powder, you know, Good yep. to hear from you, but like I, I read this thing you're writing yep. about protein powder. Like, what do you think I should do? Or hey, I'm like thinking of this thing. Like, what are, what are your thoughts? Uh, and it so just it just created a much larger surface area over which people yeah. could reach out and connect with me. Um, that I that I'm really grateful for, dude. You know, that's so funny. I mean, the podcast has been a miniature version of that. I get more reach outs from this podcast with one one thousandth of the viewership of Charisma on Command because my friends would watch the yeah. podcast. Yeah. Like I've heard from you 
I don't know how many times about the podcast. Totally. <laughs> like never about Charisma on Command. That's so, we used to, and we used to Let's Do It together. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It was a program. That was a great product. <laughs> it was a product where you would journal and it would tell your friend that they had just journaled and you could read their journal entry and you could journal entry back. And it was just telling what was going on in your life. Yeah. Interesting. I probably should do this. How did you build that? You've got the list now, but like, yeah. what do I do? Like ask, ask my friends to sign up. <laughs> uh, I just sent one and I put people on it. And, yeah, and any bottom, email you have, if you want to unsubscribe. A hundred percent. And yeah. at the bottom I said, look, if you want to unsubscribe, do it. I will be 0% offended. Yeah. I get too much email too. I'm just doing, I'm doing this for me. And if you're, you're you don't want it, that's totally fine. But it was like a bright spot. I think of everybody's email. I got so much positive feedback. Yeah. On that. I don't know why. I, I know why I stopped doing it. I was like afraid of, you know, even just like sharing that vulnerably in some ways, yeah. like maybe a little afraid at times, but I'm picking it back up. Again. That's a powerful thing. I think uh, like I'm just thinking of stealing that from you. If you put that in a product and you like make people do it and you hold them accountable to do it, their life would probably improve very quickly. A hundred percent. Yeah. I, I think that one of the sad things about um, that almost everyone experience, almost everyone has, that's kind of sad is no one understands how many people they have in their lives that are like truly rooting for them and mm -hmm. in their corner all the time. Quietly. Yeah. Quietly. Totally. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are people in my life that if they texted, emailed, whatever, and said, yo, I need help with this. Mm. I would drop everything to like, I feel the same help way. them. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yet most of those people probably don't know that. Mm -hmm. And like, maybe that's on me to be more explicit and choose, uh, choose like 10 people in mm -hmm. the world to you know that i that i think are doing amazing shit and just be like yo i want to be clear if you ever need anything <laughs> I've got you, you know um people love to help i think no, okay that's 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 too broad a, when when you have a positive feeling towards someone and you are given the opportunity to help in an area that you have like leverage or expertise it is a good feeling yes. that comes up yeah you would call me for charisma questions it's just like totally that's that's not a take yeah that's, that's like a that's a nice thing yeah Totally. Interesting. Yeah. I've, and I call you for investing stuff and I hope yeah. that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy to help, you know? Interesting. Um, and I have like a friend who has this concept where he was like, I, I like want to think about having, uh, like Gimli style from Lord of the Rings, like, and my axe, like I want to, I want to like have like 10 axes that I get yeah. over over the course of my life. And, like if you have my axe, like whatever you fucking need like let me know and you and hand I got out a yeah, physical yeah, exactly. axe and it's like yeah. as long as you can produce a photo of this axe it's an nft it can get passed from person to person to but person yeah. he was like i think i'm going to make this and literally hand it to like 10 people in my life and i was like that's so cool that's fucking epic. i love that and my axe i like it um i have to ask because i am curious the uh the true med stuff what um, a friend of ours asked, he's like, I want to know one level deeper. I get that Justin's interested in health stuff. Why? Mm -hmm. Like, why? Why, why interested health in health? Yeah. So we could, you, you've got a number of businesses. You've got Kettle and Fire. I'll do a little intro that explains what you've been up to so yeah. people can understand. But like, why? You can do anything right now. Yeah. You could, you clearly don't like storytelling. We talked about that <laughs> last night. You don't want to do entertainment. Like, why? Yeah, why yeah. health? Yeah. I think that for... I've always been extremely intellectually curious and like drawn towards areas that I think people have bad or like misinformed opinions on. Mm -hmm. um, like I'm really interested in, in like heterodox things. Mm -hmm. um, and so have you heard like the Peter Thiel, like every great startup is built on like a secret sort of thing. 
Mm. Um, I think I can imagine. Yeah. yeah it's so, like, what is the thing that you, you believe? That you believe that, that yeah. everyone else, yeah, that, that no one else does or very few people do. And as I basically got uh, turned on to health when I was like, after my friend committed suicide in college, mm. I went through this period where I was, I was depressed for effectively the first time in my life. I grew mm. up seven kids, one of seven, like was always around people. I knew all of them, it was very deep. Then I was off to college, broke up with my girlfriend, friend committed suicide. Like it was just in a novel environment, it was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where it was cloudy all the time. I was like not outside for the Fucking first time. Yeah. And all these things kind of happened. And I was like, fuck, how do I like dig out of this depression? And one of the few things that worked was like working out. And so as, so I first started like lightly working out and then I started reading about, oh, like you can do diet to work out here. And then as I got more and more, I, I just started reading about like diet and its impact on uh, health and that impacted your emotional health and how you felt about yourself and all this stuff. So it's, it's the internal feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Because and for you, that was the thing that slipped. Yeah, I think so. And then I, I also grew up, I was in college eating a super, super standard, like American college kid diet of pasta, pizza, and beer. And I went paleo for a couple of weeks at one point. All my friends thought I was crazy. They're like, wait, you're not drinking beer or eating pizza? Like oh, this was like early this 2011. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I tried it for three weeks and my skin cleared up my, like I got, like I lost some body fat. Mm -hmm. I felt better. I was like, had more energy. And I was just like, wow, this is so crazy. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is insane. I'd been seeing, um, like I, I've been like trying a bunch of like therapy and therapy oriented things that the college provided to work through, um, you know, some of the depression and like changing my diet made me feel better than anything that the therapist had done. That's fascinating. And not that, cause I think my approach probably just cause a different order of breakthrough is a little bit more internally focused. And it's always interesting to talk to you because you're like, how are we designing our environments so that they're supporting? Yeah. And I, that's a piece that I have not paid as much attention to. And yeah. it makes sense that, yeah, if your first breakthrough is like around that piece, that's going to stick with you. Totally. Yeah. And, and then from there, I, I felt like I knew this thing to be true, which was like being healthy means that you feel better. Mm -hmm. And everyone around me, I was like, and, and I still think it's gotten worse since 2012 when I graduated. Everyone in the US is like sick and getting sicker. Mm -hmm. And I look around and I, and I look, I just can't help but look at the fact that, uh, you know, 73 or 74% of the country is overweight. Uh, almost 50% of Americans are obese. You know? <laughs> really? Mm -hmm. 50. 50. Uh, you know, it's close to 30% for uh, kids under the age of 18, which is insane. We've never yeah. had like overweight kids or obese kids in history before. Mm -hmm. And and I I just can't help but think that when you look at charts around physical health, like chronic illness going through the roof, um, obesity, overweight going through the roof, all this stuff, they're also comorbid, meaning like they occur at the same time as the rise in like ADHD, anxiety, all these sorts of things. Mm. And I basically at this point strongly believe that it is impossible to have a healthy human and a healthy country made up of sick, physically sick people. Mm -hmm. And I think that to me, our environment is poisoning us and you know, our food system is making us sick. And that to me is just like, why is this happening? How do you fix it? And, and what can I potentially do that about that as an individual mm -hmm. is the most interesting question that I am aware of literally in the world. Yeah that the food input is crazy. It's, it's almost like, it's like the water. Cause for me, it's, you know, what are the big interventions I can make? It's like, fuck, I have to eat three times a day, every single day. What I'm, totally. yeah. and I guess I broke through a little bit early with just the, not for health reasons, but for aesthetic 
I want girls to like me reasons, I started eating generally clean enough food that it wasn't yeah. dragging my health through, totally. through, the, through the mud. And you're healthy. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you said, I, you had a blog post, I thought, uh, you think, I got to check on this, that the FDA is responsible for more American deaths than yeah. any other agency. Do you include the Department of Defense in there? Yes. Okay, so this is a <laughs> bold claim. Yes. <laughs> Elaborate. Uh, I think that if you look, the FDA has taken almost the exact wrong approach when it comes to like regulating. Mm -hmm. When it comes to a food system and like chemical toxicant uh, in our food system, in our water and all these sorts of things, the FDA takes the approach of um, they basically say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill treat anything that is novel to humans that is in our food, water, whatever systems as okay, as long as the manufacturer of that thing has run like one study that says like, it's probably not harmful. Mm -hmm. As you can imagine, these studies are horrible. Mm -hmm. And this is how like things like trans fats, BPA, all of these things that we know are like carcinogenic, you know, just bad for people in the case of trans fats have probably killed literally millions of people. Mm -hmm. Um, this is how all these things have ended up in our food system forever. Yeah. On top of that. You, and you believe, so let's, talk, I want to pause for a second. Yeah. Do you believe that those companies slash the people at those companies, how how blind an eye did they turn? Did they know that that stuff was bad or was it just in their interest not to look? Uh, I think that it was mostly in their interest not to look. That's what I see. Because I actually know people that have big businesses with like five uh, syllable stuff in their things. And it's like, well, there's no sugar. And it's. Totally. I just. You, you invented a new compound that hasn't been tested that is X long and in 20 years is going to be poison and you have every reason not to think that <laughs> because of course. no one's shoving it in your face. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, I'm biased in a different direction, right? Mm -hmm. Like maybe it comes out that uh, that it wasn't our food system, but it's like some weird chemical compound that's making everyone overweight and, you know, having mm -hmm. chronic disease and it's like in the water and it turns out your diet didn't matter at all. Uh, I'm super biased to avoid that piece of information mm -hmm. if it were to come through. I try not to be, but yeah, you know, well, it's factual. You started with a, a clean slate and have, and have built an yeah. edifice. So yeah, yeah. I, I trust the way you've arrived but, here. It's um, not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think, though, that there are some bad actors. In, mm -hmm. Like, have you seen um, Empire of Pain or no. read Empire of Pain? It's about the Sackler family around all of the uh, opioid crisis and mm -hmm. everything like that. I think that broadly, there are, these companies are like, run mostly good people work at these companies. Mm -hmm. I think though that for a lot of these major companies, uh, you are at the high levels, you're almost selecting for like psychopaths in some ways. And if you look at or watch Empire of Pain, I can't remember if that's the name of the book or the documentary, but you can't help but look at that and you go, oh, these people knew and they are evil as fuck. Mm -hmm. And I think that there are, there are documented cases of um, like 3M just, had the largest settlement, non-pharmaceutical settlement, non-tobacco settlement uh, around this class of chemicals called PFAS. It was like a 10 or $13 billion settlement where they basically knew that these compounds that are that were in like Teflon and like a bunch of other shit yeah. that they use uh, are cancer causing. They're bioaccumulative. 
and they're like definitively causing a bunch of harm. There are a bunch of streams, air, mm. you know, everything. And that's so there why. are individuals that yes. are just, yeah. And that is why you are seeing huge settlements. Like mm -hmm. tobacco didn't, you know, it wasn't like a bunch of innocent people working at Philip Morris making cigarettes and everyone's like gobsmacked when yeah. they get cancer and they get a 200 whatever billion dollar settlement. It's like they knew and they actively try and suppress And they stuff. did math, said, look, yes. we can keep this, this gravy train going. Got it. And what's kind of fucked up is like, the math probably works. If you're 3M, of course. you know, you're making a billion dollars in profit a year and you go, okay, $10 billion settlement. We can mm -hmm. keep this gravy train going 20 more years. Like, let's do it. Do you know Daniel Schmachtenberger's work? I know of him. I don't follow him super closely. He talks about how basically, and like I've heard critiques of capitalism that I think are from beneath, meaning like there's uh, resentment yeah. and envy driving this. I feel like he gives a critique of it that is from above, which is like the structure of capitalism. Even the he talks about money. I'll, I'll give you the brief on money because I'm going to fuck it up. Um, it's that things in the world are, uh, what is it, non-fungible or fungible? They're fungible, meaning like a tree cannot be exchanged for a goat, like in the world. Like the value of a tree is in its treeness, non-fungible. Yeah. Okay. Um, money is fungible, which yep. is like a dollar can be made hundreds can be into ones and all of that. And so when you're working with stuff in a barter system, there's X amount of trees you want to cut down because you got to store them, you got to do this. There's only so much value. But when you change it over to a monetary system, you're now incentivized to cut down every single tree because you can turn it to money, which is maximum optionality hmm. for the future. And you add the dynamic of like the thing that you need to do, the most important thing is defense and war, because if you could just take somebody else's trees, <laughs> you know what I mean? So that it always insists on a game where the person who can exploit the most, externalize the most, and have the most uh, capacity for violence to take other things, is it's like built into the structure of fungible money in a way that the world would not be structured without money. Uh, which I think is, it's just like fascinating. He can, he, he riffs for an hour and mm. talks about all of the second, third, and fourth order effects, which I find incredible. Send me that? Yeah. It's, That's interesting. He talks about the meta crisis and he's yeah. like, this, you know, you're going to solve uh, climate change or the food system. It's, you know, because your company can be as good if it's private as you are. But as soon as you bring on investors, it's it seems to kick into the system that now that Philip Morris and General Mills and all of these other companies are in. It, it actually I think that I think it's a little like tighter than that mm -hmm. from a definition standpoint. I don't actually think investors are the bad thing. Mm -hmm. I think the I think the broader issue actually is that we basically have economic systems and corporations that hugely and I'm not I don't I don't have a solution for this but these systems like hugely outlive the people that started them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that we actually have a huge crisis around like institutionalized corporate in corporate America where these companies like we'll take a big food company. Almost every big food company was started before the year 1900, which means that there is no like Zuckerberg, Musk uh, you know, Larry Page, Sergey Brin type person running any of these companies. Mm -hmm. They're like these zombie companies that are shareholder owned and shareholders only give a fuck about profit. Mm -hmm. And I think that that lack of accountability or running like the decision making of a company through some sort of human emotional moral compass. Which is funny, the guys that you mentioned are notorious for being like Quasi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think that founder-led companies come with huge downsides yeah. and huge upsides, just yeah. like people shit. You yeah. know what I mean? But I, I do think, though, if you look at the most toxic uh, 
companies and, and institutions in the US, almost all of them are massive institutions mm -hmm. run and governed by shareholders for the shareholders with like no one person who is accountable or who can actually like even steer the ship. Yeah, or like it's when it's your baby, I and I feel this is yeah. um, I've looked at selling and I know what they will do if I sell. Mm -hmm. Like they view it as parts. There's this much brand value which can be converted to this much cash if we make this many products and mine is like, but what are, are the products good? Will will they benefit the people? Well, no, there's space for a product, so there needs to be a product here. Yeah. And I feel that and I'm trying and I've we I haven't gone through with it, but I was like, how can I contract this out so they can't do all these horrible things? And there's no way. The, there's no way if that's the way that the water wants to flow from their, their profit maximizing perspective of why they would purchase the company in the first place. Yeah. So I felt that. I was like, what is my moral obligation? And it's it's not seriously on the table right now, but actually it, it is. Um to not sell, to not allow that to happen. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Uh, I, I think it's really tough, dude. I mean, I think that uh I basically think that a lot of this stuff just comes down to do, are you working with or selling to or engaging with humans that have a strong conscious, like conscience and a sense of like morality in a, in a pro human mm -hmm. or religious way that they are running their decision-making frameworks through. Mm -hmm. And I think that I do think that that basically, do you have a human with a healthy conscience? And I think it's much harder to be, uh, like I think that we are in a sick society and like you need people with healthy conscience. You need health people with like healthy bodies, healthy yeah, spirit, yeah. healthy emotions. And I think that right now we just have a huge lack of people that you can point to that you would say like, that's like a healthy, good person. I mean, I don't care. I don't care what you even think of like the two people that are going to run for Paul, you know, president next year, but in no way am I like, man, these are like inspirational America's best, yeah, yeah. you know, face off against one another. Mm -hmm. It's like the opposite of the Super Bowl. It's like yeah. watching two toddlers shit on one another. <laughs> it's like horrible, you know? What do you have uh, thoughts of, uh, you've got the businesses that you have. Tell me about like, yeah. So you want to make people physically healthy or help them to be physically healthy by changing uh, the friction that they have to like purchasing healthy things and, and making healthy decisions? Like what are, what are the ways that you're thinking about this? Yeah, I, I basically think that today you could, there's there's a type of person, and I used to be this person for sure, who looks at the average American uh, or average Western person in a horrible food environment where they are alone, they're stressed out, they're like, you, you know, exposed to more toxins, worse food, drinking more, our sorts, of, our sorts of like drugs and shit like that. And I go, wow, that person is overweight. Like, how could they? What a failure of mm -hmm. like willpower or whatever. Mm -hmm. And now I think that I'm, I believe that animals and, you know, humans are just animals. We're a product of our environment. You go to the zoo and you take a, like a, a, a wolf in the wild. And that thing is like healthy, vibrant, alive, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's sort of a product of the environment. If the environment is in a drought or, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah the animal will reflect the environment it's in. Hmm. You put an you put a wolf in a zoo <laughs> and it like starts losing its fur, it starts exhibiting weird ticks, it starts biting itself. There's something called zoocosis, which is this it's this mental disease, quote unquote, that happens when you put animals in a zoo that were, you know, formerly in the wild. They go crazy. They start butting one another, hmm. uh, notably the like uh, orca in SeaWorld like yeah. committed suicide by slamming its head against the side of the yeah. wall. Like that's insane. And I basically think the same That's thing. That's a very is, interesting idea to think of something when you said the wolf and the drought, I was like, yeah, it's going to look skinnier. Yeah. It's literally going to like an alarm reflect the state of its environment. Completely. Interesting. And so I basically think that people today 
are unhealthy. And I think that that is because they're in an unhealthy, like, like it is no longer the case that your environment is good and it outputs healthy people mm -hmm. and a, a sick chronically. What's you know, going on with this guy? He yeah, exactly. A, an individual intervention for his exactly. own personality. Like that's yeah. that's how we used to think because obesity rate 20 years ago was not above 20% in any state. Mm -hmm. Now there's not a single state under a 20% obesity rate. Yeah, 20 and, it, and, it's, and it's so extreme that it's like, it's undeniable. Completely. Yeah. And so I think that as, as that has, as this has happened, the chronic disease and obesity crisis has happened, I think you just look around and you go, now being healthy is an exception, not the rule. And how could the environment and not what be the fuck blame? is going on? <laughs> yeah. Totally, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. The um, I can't remember the question. I just kind of no, no, no. I'm I, no something. <laughs> when you said drought, I I got it. I got the um. I think I implicitly have some of what you have. And I think that's an important way to like self-develop is to go, this is my total responsibility and I can grab control of everything. And that, you Completely. know, that, that Republican style of like, you know, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps is very valuable to the individual. And when you have something as extreme as 50% of Americans being obese, which is just like skyrocketed in years. And when immigrants come, they snap right into it pretty totally. freaking quickly. It's like, you can run the numbers anyway and be like, this means that the environment is sick. And the other thing that is not questioned, which is weird, and I feel this around rich people, is like all these rich people addicted to drugs. And society's reaction is, how are you going to like, you had to look a gift horse in the mouse and screw up that into that life. And it's, well, maybe if they're all addicted to drugs and miserable, there's something wrong with the environment which they came from, even though you can't conceive of how that could be the case. Totally. And the same thing is true if I'm looking around this room I'm with all these lights and all this stuff <laughs> and I'm going, oh my God. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I basically think that um, that when when health is the exception and not the norm, uh, I think that yes, it is true that you can take personal responsibilities for your health and be healthier. I think that is undoubtedly true. It's just hard, mm -hmm. and like I just don't believe that the country. Uh, like I don't believe that everyone should be forced to take personal responsibility and go as deep as I have on health stuff in order to just remain as healthy as their grandfather was like two generations ago mm -hmm. without even fucking thinking about it. What, so we've talked specifically about obesity. Were people healthier then? Because I know that there was a lot other dangers that people had. They died of- Of course there were different dangers, yeah. yeah. But like the thing that has happened in the last 70 years is uh, like healthcare costs and deaths and everything have gone from a total flip. Like we, we basically built our healthcare system on the idea that people are healthy by default and occasionally they get sick. They mm -hmm. break a bone, they like do something, you like get, you know, a sinus infection. And so you go to a sinus doctor specific that specializes in sinus stuff mm -hmm. and they like have the world expert looking at you, they fix you and you go home, but the rest of you is healthy. Yeah. Like we can fix the broken part, the core that is assumed to be healthy. The opposite is true today. Like we have that healthcare system, but applied to a world where almost 90% of all healthcare mm -hmm. costs are related to chronic disease, i.e. like inf inflammation, obesity, cancer, like- Or even depression. Depression, and, yeah. anxiety, all these things mm -hmm. that affect the entire human organism, not just like their sinuses. Yeah. And so we have this, in my opinion, extremely outdated model of how do I treat someone? And so you come in and you go, oh, uh, I'm inflamed. Like you could have crazy inflammation in your entire body. Bro, I have huge inflammation in my leg right now. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a fat ankle for years. 
<laughs> I need to get this thing looked at. <laughs> but yeah, like you would you would take that into. I uh, did. By the way, I went to the my mom freaked out because she's a nurse. Sent me to the ER. I waited there for a bunch of hours. They looked at my ankle and yeah. they said, "You don't have a blood clot. That'll be four thousand dollars." Yeah. <laughs> and it was like, well, I'm never going to that again. That was that was terrible, yeah. and nothing positive came from it. Completely. Yeah. But not only that, and it, here it is, fat as hell. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but but like not only even beyond even beyond that, it's what if the what if like the symptom of whatever is going on is manifesting in your ankle yes but it's starting somewhere else in yes. the body yes. there is almost no place in the medical system today that will catch or dig into that mm -hmm. which i think is crazy no one is in charge of looking at charlie like someone looks Nobody at an ankle attached to, yeah. Charlie, to yeah, yeah. some pa patient x you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's crazy to me and this is how we treat everything the um this came up earlier and i think it's marginally connected my when i have stepped back and been like what is my contribution to these massive problems you talked about daniel schmachtenberger they're they're huge and they are systemic and really really bad it seems like um when i go what is if i had to break down the root cause of the bad things that happen on planet it is disconnection which is to say when a war starts People don't start wars with people they love. They start wars with people with whom they're disconnected. When you are hungry, you do not begin to eat your left arm in order to feed your right arm because you are connected to that. And yeah, when you start treating the body as if it is a series of disconnected pieces, which can be isolated, that you're going, yeah, anytime, anytime you, yeah, and God, to look at the, all the connection would be so difficult. You got to look at the person and then their family so and hard. the place they come and where they, yeah, what they eat and the society that they live in, all to figure out why this ankle is inflamed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it does seem like that's how you find lasting solutions to things is, mm -hmm. is to take higher orders of connection into account. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think this applies to food stuff. I think it applies to health. I think it mm -hmm. applies to community, mm -hmm. all of this stuff. Like I, I basically think that for, I don't know, choose a number 30 to 60 years, somewhere in that range, society has been trading. You're, you're like, we talked about a little bit about like Maslow's hierarchy. Mm -hmm. We've been consistently trading away. Uh, like we've been opting for cheaper food, more convenient friendships, larger house, like mm. the things that are sort of at the base of Maslow's hierarchy, we have traded you know, it, like take living, for example, living in tight community, but in tight quarters in the same neighborhood with all people that like you're related to or, you know, in New York, like maybe an Italian neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. You trade that for a big house in the suburbs in Westchester. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious why you should want the house in Westchester. It's bigger, more room. It's mm -hmm. nice. Like it has a yard, all these things. But it's incredibly non-obvious all the things that you're giving up on when you make that trade. Mm -hmm. And I basically think that we're in the in a position where we see the results of societally making, you know, millions of individuals making those sorts of trades over and over and over again. And I think that we are just starting to figure out like what we lost when we traded what was obviously desirable for or when we traded what like we had, which had a bunch of implicit, harder to understand benefits for the things that are obviously desirable, convenient, yeah. tastier, you know, whatever it is. It seems like I'm trying to think because the, the concept of space is also critical. And I found in my life, you know, I moved out to the, the big house separate and the space has been incredibly valuable. There's a way to combine space with an individual such that it deepens connection and a way to offer space to someone in a way that it cuts off connection. And I know that's like a weird, heady philosophical thing, but it seems for sure like 
because they're because the problem of the t- the you know the apartment building is like and that, that I feel even when I come into the city of Austin it's like this is too much like I have to disconnect in order to function without this level of space like I need to get alone into nature where I can scream or yell or fucking move totally so that I can feel connected to someone that I'm sitting next to uh, honestly probably the Italian neighborhood analogy is a bad <laughs> one. I think the better analogy would be like a small rural village sure like, sure like the way that humans way live that you can for go to longer yes. than like the last 200 years in New York. <laughs> Tenement buildings. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. That's very bad analogy and I'll own that. <laughs> <laughs> got it. Got it. That makes sense. Um, so you're finding ways and you've got this, the true med now, which I, you actually, Zach explained to me. I was like, what's going on with that? Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to essentially make it easier for people to make healthy decisions and to to reduce the environmental friction? Is that a safe way to? Yeah, basically. I mean, if, if you ask the average person, why are you not healthy? They would mm-hmm. go either, I don't know how, or it's expensive, mm-hmm. which are both true. Uh, being healthy is hard and it's also more expensive. Mm-hmm. So uh, really hard to solve the being healthy is hard question. It's education and there's much better people that are like trying to tackle that problem than me. Uh, I think though that financially, it is so true that it is expensive and hard to be healthy. So what we are doing is we basically started a company called TrueMed that health and wellness brands can work with service providers, trainers, gyms, supplement providers, you know, all of these. Could I get groups. like a cold plunge through this? Yes. So um, this this is rad to me. Yeah. Go ahead, continue. Yeah, and so so basically like uh, there's this type of account called a health savings account or a flexible spending account, HSA, FSA, that is tax-free money. Your employer often puts money into it and you can actually spend these 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 dollars on things that treat, alleviate, or prevent a disease. And this is often like paired with health insurance in some yes. sort of way. Yeah, yeah exactly. So you'll have your like deductible, your this, and you'll have an HSA that enables you like a Roth IRA to put money in. Exactly. Got it. Yeah. And so there's uh, like tens of millions of Americans have them. There's almost $150 billion. Don't even use them. And, and like 93% of it sits in cash. Really? Um, yeah. They're super underutilized. So HSA, FSA regs, and then I'll stop talking, regulations, I'll stop talking about this in a sec, (laughs) but HSA, FSA regulations were written at a time in like the early 2000s when the average American was healthy. Mm -hmm. That is no longer the case. Like back then when it was written, the average American was not at risk of like being, turning out like the average American today that has, you know, six or Mm -hmm. more chronic diseases, uh, or sorry, at least one uh, chronic disease, which is insane. And so what we're doing is we're basically taking this massive body of literature that shows food is medicine, supplements are medicine, exercise is better than any known SSRI Mm -hmm. or other treatment to treat depression. And we're saying that if you can use HSA, FSA funds to buy pills and prescriptions, you should be able to use these dollars to invest tax-free in your health by buying a cold plunge, a sauna, paying for a gym membership. Exactly. Buying supplements that keep you healthy. Who are you saying that to? Do you have to like lobby for this or is this? No, this is totally legal today. Yeah. Yeah. So it's so, already legal and you are setting up the infrastructure to make it easy for exactly. the cold plunge company. It's to... already legal. We're making it easy. Got so it. So we're working with like health and wellness brands. Like we just started working with Future Fit, which is like an online personal mm-hmm. trainer thing. Uh, they basically now can tell their customers, uh, hey, do you want to pay for our expensive fairly? Because it's hard to like do something well that makes people healthy. Like, do you want to pay for our expensive services using a bucket of tax-free money? Hmm. And if you have, you know, a, a, any like income that's on the mid to upper range of that, that is going to save you twenty or give you twenty to forty-five percent greater purchasing power when you use these funds. Wow. Yeah. So you have to educate vendors mm-hmm. of stuff and purchasers because, like, yes, there's probably a lot of people that have HSAs yeah. and FSAs that have no idea. It's a huge lift. Yeah, it's a huge lift. But it's it. 
it's so there. Like you said, there's $150 million, billion dollars just waiting yeah. to be used. And I was thinking about it. I was like, I don't want to like go to the doctor because it was like, and it's like, no, you can buy a cold plunge. You can buy like, there's an argument to made that certain foods and supplements and all this kind 100%. of stuff should, should be purchasable. And it's one of the most fun things to buy. I've been contemplating buying a cold plunge. And if you told me, yeah, you're gonna get a tax-free savings on it. So like subtract whatever your effective tax rate is from this. That would absolutely push me over the edge. hundred percent, especially for high dollar purchases. Yeah. Like that. And yeah. it's, it's not, it's not even related to the exact dollar amount. It's just, if I feel like right. it's being <laughs> encouraged and I'm yeah. getting a deal, that's exciting to me. Exactly. And, and so our whole goal with the company is we just want to make it possible and, and cheaper for the average person to invest in their health while they still have it, mm-hmm. as opposed to just paying for surgeries, pills and whatnot yeah. later in life when they're sick. That's the whole goal of the company. If you can change public consciousness around that, which is obviously a huge thing, you got to do a lot more media. You got to do a lot more. My co-founder is incredible at this. Yeah, he's been on Russell Brand. He's been on. Okay, like, he's he's done like the the left and the right oh, circuit. Dope. He's like really good at this. Yeah, thank Cause, goodness, because I'm not like personable enough to be like a figure <laughs> on this. Uh, but he's excellent at it. Yeah, because if people understood this, knew that they had that ability. A, a tremendous amount of this would just move right away. And it was easy and frictionless for them to get to whatever their cold plunge thing. Because there is so much. Dr. Huberman's like the second biggest podcast. These, You know, and there's of course there's a demand. Health is in right now. It's funny. When we were like the Tim Ferriss health was very cutting edge, like yeah. start of the curve. And it's it's like fat part of the curve right now, it of, feels like. And I think it's only going to get increasingly, mm-hmm. people are only going to get interested in it more so. Yeah. Like you have, I, I think that, um, you know, you know how like when you're going, this analogy may not make sense, but in some ways, like when you're trying to swim upstream, like the harder the current or the stronger the current, the harder you have to swim to like mm-hmm. escape it. I think it's the same thing. Like when the default environment is so bad and making people so sick, I think there's just going to be more and more energy directed towards how do I escape this default environment that is going to make me sick mm-hmm. and like, in, like use my energy to create a system where like Justin or Charlie or whoever is actually healthy. You sent me something that you were reading. What are you reading or learning these days? Because you always have interesting stuff. What am I reading or learning? I've been going extremely deep. I'll say two things. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been going extremely deep around this like environmental toxicants thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, My, I've been trying to work on like having hot takes and standing behind them (laughs) with very little evidence to support them yet. Uh, But my hot take is that I think environmental toxicants um, endocrine disrupting chemicals, phthalates, the class of chemicals called PFAS, are responsible for, directly responsible for the massive like 50-ish percent decline that we've seen in male testosterone mm-hmm. in the last like 25 years. And I think that that as an output is also playing some role in the massive amounts of like societal gender dysphoria and other stuff mm-hmm. that we're seeing today. Um, I just find it interesting that like at the same time as a lot of these issues are fairly, you know, coming up, I think it's interesting that as people are like arguing about men, women, you know, what, what does it mean to be a man or a woman? Biologically, men and women have never been more similar from a hormonal Hmm. level. Interesting. Um, So that's something I'm like interested in. Can I say one more thing? Yeah, please. Um, the other thing that I'm quite interested in is, uh, this idea of called like metabolic psychiatry which is this this guy, Dr. Chris Palmer, has written about. But it's effectively this idea that if you have a de- – if let's say you and a friend have bad diets, those bad diets or like exposure to toxins or whatever will, can manifest differently. We all know someone that like eats horribly, 
but is skinny. And then someone else like, you know, eats horribly and they put on a ton of weight. Uh, but the skinny person might have cancer. They might have bad skin. Like there's any number of things where bad diet results in some sort of yeah, yeah. Um, symptom. Chris Palmer has a hypothesis, which I completely agree with, which is that a lot of the mental anxiety, depression, ADHD, and other like mental disorders and, and diseases that we see on the rise today are the, are your brains. It's like your brain and your mind's symptom of metabolic dysfunction. Hmm. So it is metabolic dysfunction manifested mm. in a mental health disorder I as opposed to like obesity or something interesting. else. I take the same a thought about ADHD, all of that stuff, personality disorders, and I put it on trauma. But I, I'm in broad agreement that these things that feel like such different classes are predictable patterned responses to a stimulus that we're not tracking correctly. Completely. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Yeah. It's been wonderful. Peace, everybody. <laughs> credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.